um, bringing the college from death to life, leading like global collaborations around Bible translation space, and then um, and then two, you know, it really is his willingness to kind of pioneer vision and say, hey, how do we engage in Oakland City at a different level? Like he's been the one that's kind of held that forward for our family mm -hmm. um, and allowed me to be a part of that. Um, so and it's all that. He could talk all day about all those strategies and visions and things that are, he's doing. But I think we're trying to focus today is like, okay, in the midst of that, how has he gone about? And there's so many different ways in which kind of relationship and people and mentoring has been so pivotal to what he's done um, from really coming deeply alongside a few young entrepreneurs in a, in a really intentional way to um, integrating student voice into how things happen to forming his own like advisory team that the community people have kept him like on all these crazy adventures like encouraged and accountable and um, guys. so um, yeah so he's, he's an entrepreneur by trade but also a master of collaboration so that's that's really um, the good thing he's grown in and then just how he's been about caring for people along the way so we're going to try to if not extract, that's, that's explaining that. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to explain. <laughs> Learn from each other, and hopefully you guys can be encouraged um, as kind of um, peers and, and community practice around what we kind of mentor and invest in um, you know, the university. Mm. Awesome. And Lansing Grinder, thank you. That's really powerful for a son to introduce mm -hmm. a father. Yeah. So yeah. That yeah. much honor. That's not lost on any of us. That's really awesome. Yeah. Um, so, Mark, so Brian and I are going to tee up a couple of couple of questions, All right. and then we're mostly just want to create space for um, for you know for our mentor community to, to ask some questions. So, the first first question I want to ask is around this idea of cultivates commitment to the whole city. Um, um, it's interesting, even just looking around this room, um, you know, even at as your family, you know, place such a, a flag in the ground for, for redemptive retail around the country, around, around the world. Um, you know, two of the first three uh, venture funds in the history of Oklahoma, founders are sitting in this room. And, uh, uh, and I could go around the room, several other, uh, there are several other pioneering firsts, even among our, our mentor community, yeah, which is cool. just incredible, yeah. um, the diversity. But we want to be about ecosystem building. Um, tell us more about um, your passion to see Oklahoma City thrive. When, when did you look around and say, wait, I'm impacting the nations, you know, what's happening here in our city? And, just share with us a little bit about kind of your journey and your heart for Oakland City. Yeah, well, thank you. First of all, thank you all for being mentors and what you do. I've been very moved. Thank you, Tracy, for again sharing the vision. It's always good to hear that and bring you back to those roots. And thank you guys for what you guys have done for Cultivate. And uh, yeah, that's the best inter introduction I've ever had right yeah. there. Look cool. So, I'm taking him on the road with me. <laughs> forget, forget a little introduce me. I'll let my son introduce that's me. So cool. uh, proud of Tyler, of course. And so, yeah, I'd say there's four four men that happened to be in this situation that really impacted me, I suppose, for me focusing on Oklahoma City. I've lived here 60 of the 62 years of my life. I was born down a lot in Oklahoma. So my parents moved here before I was two because my brother was born here. So sometime between when I was born and two, we moved here. I don't even remember when it was. So this, this, this is my home. This is where we live. This is where we were raised. And so, uh, but yeah, 
I saw Tyler, I moved out to the suburbs, and then Tyler, when he got married, wanted to move into the middle of the city, to where the broken and the, mm -hmm. that was. So I saw his love for the city start happening first, and starting to meet people who loved our city. <clears throat> and so that would be one of the, the gentlemen that affected my life. Another one happened when I heard that somebody had set goals for our city. Mm -hmm. And I said, who, what were the goals? First you want to know, what, like Tyler, what's the line? I mean, don't keep saying, talking about this line, don't give me the line. You know, what was the goals? What are the goals the, this, this person set? Well, they set a goal that they wanted a Whole Foods in Oklahoma City. This is before we had a Whole Foods. They wanted a Whole Foods in Oklahoma City. They wanted a boat district in Oklahoma City. And they wanted a professional team in Oklahoma City. Wow. Those were three goals that somebody set. I never got to talk to Aubrey McClendon about those goals. He died before I had an opportunity to do that. And I'm sure he wanted to take credit for it. I'm sure there's lots of people that made that happen. But somebody had a vision and somebody had a goal and somebody stated them. Because I assumed it was the mayor. I mean, I thought, well, who would have done this? And I out, it's a businessman, kind of like me. Somebody set goals for the city. So, I mean, instantly my heart said, well, those are all kind of physical goals. I mean, Whole Foods is for your, the boat district, ball games. Oh, those are all to help the city. And I'm sure Aubrey wanted to keep his employees here. Houston's, a, I'm sure, a competitor with gas and oil down. They got a professional team, all those kind of things. He wanted, he cared about his employees. I'm sure that was part of the reason he set those goals, which were all great, and I benefited from all three of them. But what are the, who's going to set the spiritual goals for the city? Who's going to stand up and plant a flag and say, here's the spiritual goals for our city? Mm -hmm. And so that thought came. And then I had a friend of mine, he uh, wrote his dissertation, his doctorate, actually on city movements. And so one of the lines he wrote in his city movements that I butchered and don't tell it, I mean, he wrote it really eloquently, so, but I just kind of get things down to what's the gut of what he was saying. And what he said was, as you go get closer and closer to your city, your calling gets larger and larger. And I had to process that for a little while. What, what? The closer you get to your city, the larger your calling becomes. Well, here's my context at that point, as Todd told you, I'm involved in Bible translation. One of my passions is to make sure everybody on this planet has God's word in their heart languages. The trouble is there's 6,000 languages, all right? So that's a big, hairy, audacious goal, all right? And so I'm working on that. I've been working on that for a lot of years. But I, don't, I, don't, I, I can't think of a single neighbor who could go benefit from that, right? They all either speak Spanish or Vietnamese or whatever, but they're not speaking these Eastern Hawkel texts. That's not my neighbors or in other countries. But as I get closer to my city, I, God expects more of me. I cannot be incarnational to all 8 billion people on planet Earth with Bible translation. But I can be incarnational with my family, with my neighbors, whether it's my literal neighbors or my neighbors that I work with, that I go to work with. And so that's where I got to thinking, wow, we, uh, we need to do more here because we can be more incarnational with what we do. And then I went to West Lane hoping that Wes would plant the flag, right? I said, Wes has been training all these people. Wes, you know, why don't you go do this city thing, you know? <laughs> I like empowering people too, right? I like good ideas and, and you doing it, right? And so, uh, and so I said, and I always want to know the seed of something. That's why it was important, Tracy, that you shared that again. What was the seed of Cultivate? You just shared that. What was the seed of Oklahoma City? And Wes goes, Mark, I, organizations have spiritual seeds, but I don't think cities do. I'm like, no, Wes, come on. You, you think about our city. You love our city. You talk about our city more than anybody I know from a believer's perspective. He goes, I don't know. He said, but my friend John Dwyer just wrote a book called The Oklahomans. I said, is it about the spiritual seed of Oklahoma? He says, no, it's not about that. Nobody writes about that. He says, but he's a believer. Okay, he's a believer. And he wrote about Oklahoma. Good, that's close enough. We'll just, so I was just down the street from Barnes & Noble. I'll go down to Barnes & Noble, pick this book up. And 
Oh, it's a 300-page history book. Matter of fact, I brought it with me. Well, who wants to? I, I want the bottom line, guys. I just want the one sentence. I don't need 300-page history book, right? The Oklahomans. So finally, I thought, well, I bought the book. I might as well start. <laughs> See how far I get. Paragraph one, page one. Before the Trail of Tears, before the war between the states, before the land runs in statehood and dust bowl, before world wars and oil booms and bust, and the Oklahoma City bombing and more tornadoes, there were others who came to present-day Oklahoma. It seems the Sooner State has always been the land of hope for the second, third, or last chance people from other places. Wow, that just stirs my spirit. This is the place people came for hope when they had second, third, or last chance. Now, he didn't go into it, but my brain instantly thought, Mark, hello, wake up. You went to school here in Oklahoma City. Who, how did our city start? It started overnight. Mm -hmm. It was a land run, right? There was ten little, five little shanties. The railroad came through here. That's all that's here. And all of a sudden, they opened the land up and said, free land. And I got to think, well, who would come to a land run? That's the seat of, who came to Oklahoma City? Who was the first one here? Well, it wasn't winners. Winners don't move. Winners stay where they're at. It wasn't people with cardboard signs wanting somebody else to do something for them. It was the entrepreneurial spirit mm -hmm. who needed a second, <laughs> third, or last chance. So to me, that is the spiritual seed. Because if you want to know fruit, chase seeds. Don't mm. chase fruit, chase seeds. So this, I think the spiritual seed, what God gave us, is an entrepreneurial spirit who needs a second, third, and maybe even their last chance. And so I love for people to say, man, if you need a second chance and you're an entrepreneur, get down to Oklahoma City, man. That's where you can plant your seeds. So anyway, that's, those are four things that happened that kind of got me excited about Oklahoma City and what can we do and why... When they asked me to come to lunch today, I said, I'd love to do it because you guys are helping to mentor the next generation. You're doing it yourself. Obviously, you wouldn't be here, and you're trying to come along somebody else. And maybe, maybe they need a second, third chance. And who among us did it, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody here not need a second or third chance? Mm -hmm. From the Lord's point of view, I sure did, right? And I need that. So we're all second, third, last chance people, but can we be known as a city of hope? So that's why I like to use the word hope for our city. Let Austin be weird. We'll take hope. So. <laughs> Sorry to you, Texans. That's good. That's good. I see the T-shirt now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Martin, I, seriously, I've been uh, I've been looking forward to you being here for the last few months once when we first set this up, and yeah. so uh, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, one of the first things that I think about when I think of Mark Green is intentionality and just focus and fierce <laughs> intentionality and what you put your heart and your mind to and the way that God directs your spirit. And so, and that's a beautiful quality. Well, so I want to ask a question that, um, you know, as Tyler said, you're, you're carrying a lot of different hats, a lot of projects, major things you're working on, not the least of which is this company and not the least of which is your family. But tell us um, some of, you know, give us a couple of really important elements that you would say are non-negotiables in your life so that you don't neglect any of the intentional roles that are priority to you. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of my personal journey, I think, is what you're asking for. How do, what's, what's that look like? And I had a 
as Tyler talked about a life transforming sentence in his life, I had a life transforming situation happen to me on February the 7th, 1998. February the 7th, 1998, I'm down in Guatemala. I'm getting ready to get on an airplane and I'm going down there for a Bible dedication. I had recently found out, as I shared with you, there's a lot of people that don't have the God's Word in their heart language. I didn't know that. But at Mardell, we sold the book that talked about it, and so I got involved with it, and so we helped pay for the printing of a first edition Bible. I didn't pay for the process. Missionaries spent all their lives translating the Bible so people were going to get it, but then they sell them for a quarter, so somebody has to subsidize that. And so I thought, hey, we're at Christian bookstores. We sell Bibles. Wouldn't it be neat to take our profits and reinvest it in people who don't have God's Word in the heart language? So Wycliffe Bible Translators, one of the Bible Translators, said, March, you're paying, for these de- you're paying for these New Testaments. Most of them were New Testaments. Why don't you come to a dedication? Why don't you come when people celebrate again God's Word in the heart language for the first time? So I did that. I get on a plane on February the 5th. I'm flying down to Guatemala. Uh, they gave me a sheet of paper. I'm a numbers person, so the numbers jump off at me. And there's four numbers on this piece of paper. They jumped off right at the beginning. And one of them was the number of speakers. And the number of speakers of Eastern Holotech is 30,000 people. Well, I don't like that number, right? I, I just spent a bunch of money, and I'm assuming there's a bunch of people. I'm assuming if you have a language, you have people, right? 30,000 people doesn't fit in our football stadium. It doesn't even make a dent in the football stadium. And then there's 8,000 of the 30,000 can read. Only 1,000 of the 30,000 are believers. There's only 400 believers who read. Hmm. This is not a good... ROI, not ORI. I think you changed it to ORI, but no, it's not a good ROI, right? You're all business people. You know what I'm talking about. It's not a good return on investment. I'm flying down there. I'm already not in a good mood, right? I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm going all the way to Guatemala. 400 people can read the thing. <laughs> Got to be kidding me. I want to do something big, you know? And so then there's one more number on there, and that was uh, the translation started in the year 1958. Wow. This is 1998. Most translations take 10 or 12 years. This one's taken 40 years. I was born in 1961. This couple's been down there translating the Bible for this 30,000 people, 400 could read, my entire life. I have no idea how to console them. I know what I'm doing. I'm doing something besides Bible translation next time. I'm going to find out how many speakers I got. All right? I'm out of this. Let's go find something that's got a better ROI on it, right? So I get down there, you know, in Guatemala City, and so now I'm meeting some of the Wycliffe people, and I said, okay, what's next? And, oh, well, we're going to get on a bus. And I said, okay, how far are we going? Oh, it's a 10-hour drive. Oh, my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to bus for 10 hours, you know. So I have a whole other day of ROI, plus trying to figure out where I'm going to live to get back, right? I mean, there are times that I'm telling you, I was on the side of the bus, and the wheels, I, I could not, I could see that, I could see 400 yards down, but I couldn't see the ground. But then the tire was barely on that ground. I thought, I hope I told my wife. I know I told my wife. Did I tell my kids I love them? I think I did before I left. Sure, I did. You know, because this well, might have been my last time. What's their last name? I'm going to remember that I told them. You know. So anyway, finally get down there. And ironic, and I'll tell this part of the story because of, of, of the context. You got to understand, I'm on, the, I'm on with a Wycliffe leader. So I'm on with a bus of six or seven, I mean, a smaller bus. There's another bus of people, and they're all their, their missionaries, a missionary model. So they were the donors who gave to the two missionaries. So think about this. You've been sponsoring somebody for 40 years, $50 a month, $50 a month. That was that bus. They're all super excited. Right? I'm down here with a bad mood. They're all excited right? because they're finally done right? after 40 years. You know? So I start meeting them and shaking hands with them, and every single one of them was from Oklahoma City. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm at the end of the earth. What are you all doing down here? 
Oh, don't you know Dennis and Jean Stratemeyer are from Metropolitan Baptist Church there in Oklahoma City? I said, no, I live five minutes from Metropolitan Baptist Church. I had no idea my neighbors were down here translating the Bible for the last 40 years. So now I'm in Dennis and Jean, my neighbors, for the first time, and we're in front of a concrete slab with a chimney. It's all it's there. It's a concrete slab and a chimney. And I go, Jean, what is this? Why are we all looking at this? She goes, oh, in 1977, the gorillas came and burnt our house down because we were educating the people. They had no written language. We wrote a language for them. Then we translate the Bible. We do all that process, which usually takes, like I say, 12 to 16 years. But because of the gorillas trying to kill them, or, or well, they burnt their house down when they were gone. Another time they tried to kill them. So now my brain started to understand, okay, maybe that's why it takes a little longer. You know? mm -hmm. And so she says, oh, yeah, yeah, they came to kill us one time. But you see that 55-gallon drum over there? I say, yeah. She says, I hid in it. And I had my Hebrew and my Greek and a flashlight. And I was in there studying my Hebrew and Greek and that drum while they're out looking to kill us. And I'm like, no, no, no. You get you a map. You get your four kids and you go home. You know? So these are crazy people who translate the Bible. So anyway, now we go to the ceremony. And it's, it's a big day. They've, they've waited 40 years. Now they got the book of Mark along the way. But now they're going to get a black bound New Testament. You know? And it's like God speaks our language. When you're a people group that has 30,000 speakers... You, can't, you don't think that God speaks your language, right? He must speak Spanish. He's for those people. But is he for me? Yes, he's for you. He speaks your heart language. And that's why people are passionate about getting God's word. So anyway, as I said, they had the two from Oklahoma City. And there were four Eastern Hockletecks that were part of the translation process for those 40 years. Some came out at different times. They went forward to get their Bible for the first time. Now, I've helped people find the Bible. If you've been to a Mardell store, we have 1,000 different types of Bibles. Right? So if you come in wanting a black King James, you're in for a real surprise. Right? Now we have that one, but we got a lot more. Right? And I've helped people find the one, but nobody has ever done what Gaspar did. When Gaspar went forward to get his Bible for the first time, he wept. He took a handkerchief out of his pocket to wipe away his tears. It was in that moment, again, God has never spoken to me audibly but I have what I call Holy Spirit prompting. Mm -hmm. Something happens inside of me that I didn't put there, and I trust and it's the Holy Spirit. And it mm -hmm. was a simple question. And the question was, Mart, why don't you go tell Gaspar he's not a good <laughs> R-O-I? Oh, man, that was like a spear went right through me. I'd already, I'd already made that decision. For two days, I had decided he was not worth it. But in that moment, I went from why? How would you spend time and money on translation to how? How can we make sure everybody on planet Earth has God's Word in their heart language? Mm -hmm. So a few hours later, we go down. There was uh, Concepcion. is where the Eastern Hall We went down to Todos Santos because there were no hotels there. We go down there, and I'm going to be... The women took up the $2 hotel. So the men got to go to the $1 hotel, right? <laughs> now I'm kind of excited about the $1 hotel because it's going to be good ROI, right? I've never had a dollar on my expense report for a hotel, all right? I can't even, I'm paying more taxes. I mean, I pay 12 charges that are over a dollar on my bill now when I go to a hotel, right? I'm excited about this thing until I get to the room. And I'm like, oh, shoot, not a good ROI. To get a good ROI on a dollar, they should at least make the bed. So I made the bed just so I'd feel, like, I'd feel a little better about it. I mean, it was a barn with a tin roof on it, and then your shower was the pail down. And I didn't mind all that. What bugged the crud out of me is I paid a dollar, all right? 50 cents max next time. I'm going to negotiate. So I'm 0 for 2 on the ROI here, right? And so, um, so anyway, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I, I couldn't sleep. 
there were animals on the roof. There were four drunks down here singing. So at 2 o'clock in the morning, I finally just got up and said, I might as well just read a book. I always take books where I go. So at that time, K. Arthur had a book out called A Silver Refined. And I'm, in, I'm reading a flashlight at 2 o'clock in the morning, February the 8th, the day after Gaspar, right? I've just had that experience. And it says, being in God's Word and knowing it for yourself is the key. Being in God's Word and knowing it for yourself is the key. Now, that's pretty balking and tackling as it can get for a believer, right? Here I am, a fifth-generation Christian on my mom's, third on my dad's side. I owned maybe 12 to 15 Christian bookstores at that time. I just paid for the printing of that Bible that that man left over. I have 50 Bibles in my house to my name, and yet I'm reading a book here. I haven't read God's Word probably in a month. I hear it on Sundays. So then I had another Holy Spirit prompting. Only time ever I've had them back-to-back in two days straight. Usually, it usually takes about 10 years, you know. Uh, and it was, what kind of ROI is Mark Green? I've poured everything into you, and you ignore my book, my love story to you. So I made a vow to the Lord, and I've only made two. One I made to Diana, 42 years ago, two days ago, that we stay married. So we just celebrated 42 years of marriage, January the 29th. That was my first vow. And the second vow was I'm going to get up and read God's Word for the rest of my life. And so I've not missed a day in 26 years now, and my life has totally, totally changed. I don't do it out of legalism. You guys didn't eat lunch out of legalism, did you, today? You guys ate lunch yesterday. You ate, are you legalistic about this eating thing? No, I'm not legalistic about it. I can't wait. Because inside that book is where heaven and earth meet. It's the one place that I know of that heaven and earth meet. And that's in God's word. And so one of the things that I do, I brought some things. I didn't know. But I think this would be good. I pray three prayers and I'll give you. I don't write books. I can get all my stuff on a five and a half by eight. Okay? <laughs> so why don't you make sure everybody gets where I just So this is what I call my, oh yeah, I'm just going to keep one. So every morning before I read scripture, I go through, I read, I pray these three verses. Psalms 119 says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. So I want to go into God's word expecting something. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The second verse is, give me insight so I can do what you tell me. My whole life, one long obedient response. Hmm. That also comes from the Psalms. And the third one I, I do is James 4 and 8. Come close to God and he will come close to you. So that's the three things I'm praying before I go in. I call it O-I-O-I because it's open. Give me insight. I can obey so I become more intimate with you. So anyway, if that helps you with your reading or whatever, it just goes in with that expectation that when you open the book, and I end all my emails with these four words, this book is alive. You know, mm-hmm. And I go in knowing and believing that. And I go in with total confidence that I can go to any culture, on any country, on any planet, on any continent, and this book is alive. I don't have to worry about it speaking to people who live in the jungles, who live in Asia, who live in Africa, who live in Australia, who live in Papua New Guinea. It doesn't matter. When you translate it, there's no other book like it. There's no other book you can do that to. There's only one book that you can translate in all 6,000 languages, and people will say, wow, that speaks to my heart. So anyway, long answer to your question. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Um, can I... Can I say something real quick? So, so I took a couple of books on vacation with me, a couple of old classics, actually, Good. and one was the biography of George Mueller. Wow. Yeah, and I don't know if you've read one. that. Like, <laughs> that it talks about him reading God's Word over 200 times and yeah. 100 times on his knees. Wow. And 
Wow. And his I commitment, his yeah. commitment to the Word of God. Yeah. Challenging. Wow, yeah. Challenging. Well, it is. Yeah. It'll change your life. Um, one more question before we open it up to these guys, Mark. Um, so the people in this room are people who are sought after by young leaders. Uh, and normally they don't say, will you mentor me? They say, can I grab a lunch with you? Can I grab a coffee with you? I know you get that a lot. Uh, what do you do with with a, with a young leader that wants time with you, that wants you to invest in them? Yeah. Yeah, first you try to just kind of delay to see if they're really serious. Because six, <laughs> nine out of ten of those never come back or they don't follow wow. up or they do that thing. Yeah, that's right. I'm usually trying to find the people that I mentor, to be honest. I mean, I do get some requests. Some people assume that I'm busy, so they don't, maybe. Mm. And so, but I, I try to look for the ones. Most of the ones that I've mentored, and a mentor may be too strong a word. I definitely disciple them, uh, give them time, um, things like that. I've found most of them because I'm looking for something. Because right? I don't know. If you come ask me, I don't know. But if I look and I see and I'm thinking, wow, that guy has the th uh, there's three things I'm looking for. Right? There's three character traits that are most important to me. And they all are the reverse of uh, John, 1 John 2.16, 2, where it tells us Satan only has three tricks. Everything comes under his three tricks. He's only got three things. The love of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Right? That's it. He's got three things. So Randy Alcorn helped me by saying, well, you know, Satan didn't create anything. These aren't co-equals. Everything that's here is God gave us. So the only reason that, that Satan could tempt us is taking something that God gave us and corrupting it. So when you think of the lust of the eyes, what is that? That's possessions. There's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with your car. There's nothing wrong with your home until it owns you. And you think that's who your identity is. That's, you have your identity in possessions. So that's where the lust of the eyes. Oh, if I just get that, if I just get that new dress, if I get that new car, if I get that new whatever, I'll be happy. Well, we all know that's not true, but the illusion is there, and we have that. So I'm thinking, well, how do you, how do you defeat Satan? Well, be generous, right? My grandmother was very generous. She was a widow's mite generosity. She had two dresses she'd give one away. She was just generous. You did not have to worry about her, the lust of the flesh, or lust of the eyes, right? Because she just, she gave stuff away. She was generous. Pride of life. There's nothing worth, wrong with positions and power. We need positions and power. We need somebody running the thing, right? Shiloh doesn't run if the Moors don't run that thing, right? We need position. We need power. Nothing wrong with that until it becomes, you know, the pride of life, you know, and all of a sudden he's, he's prideful of that. And so what do you want? You want somebody with humility. So you somebody with humility, you don't have to worry about the pride of life because they're humble servants. They understand that. And then the lust of the eyes, that would be the pleasures. God gave us sexuality. He gave us food. He gave us the pleasures of life, right? But those all can be corrupted, and Satan kind of pulls us that way, and that's the lust of the flesh. And so you show me somebody who has integrity, right? So if you show somebody who has a, I go to school for the ABCs, character, I'm looking for the GHs and I's. Show me somebody who's got generosity, who's got humility, and who's got integrity. And man, I'm going to be your partner 20 years from now, mm. right? Now I've got to expect that on myself too, right? How can I be more generous? How can I be more humble? How do I have integrity? Because once I lose that integrity, once I do something, then I've lost it, right? So but that's kind of what I'm looking for. You don't always know that in an interview. You can't get that. But if you watch somebody for a while, you just start seeing little things. I'm not, generosity is not money, right? I mean, generosity is time. You guys are generous. That's, you, you all are generous people, right? And your gift back is not what you gave, right? You gave your time. I'm not saying God's going to give you time back. You gave money. I'm not saying God's going to give you money back. But I'll tell you what he is going to give you. 
He's going to give you presence, right? You show me somebody who's generous, and I'm going to show you somebody whose God's presence is there because that's the gift he offers. So I say, presence is the present, all right? So if you're looking for a gift, if you're looking for more money, when you give money, you're looking for money back, that may happen. I don't know, but I'm telling you, you show me a generous spirit, I'm going to show you where God is going to show up, his presence. So, so those are things I'm looking, kind of looking for in, in those kind of people because I want to spend, if I'm going to spend time and effort, I need to know that they're, that they're serious too. And so it's easier for me to find them than they'll, if they just ask me, I'm probably going to put it off for a little bit, maybe see if I can see them in a different context and all that. But as I look back, most of all the ones I've got, I saw something in them and I asked, asked them, hey, can I come alongside you? Can I do this for you? Wow. So anyway. That's powerful. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brian, anything else you want to ask before we open it up to the... Oh, there's a ton I would love to <laughs> ask. I seriously is, cause, but, but I'd love to dive even deeper there. But let's open it up for questions you guys have uh, that you'd like to hear Mark's response to. Some good stuff, man. I'm just curious how many languages, you talk about 6,000, how many of you guys, how many are translated, how many are left, like what's the progress looking like and timeline and just a little yeah, yeah. We actually, yeah, there's about 2,400 of them have, have met what we call an all-access goal. There's another 2,000 that are being worked on, and there's 1,600 that haven't got started. All right. Now, what we did is we set a goal, because the last Bible translation was set to start in the year 2150. 2150, doubtful I'll be here. Just <laughs> doubtful. Right? I'm 62 now. 2150, I'm not, unless technology or the medical profession helps me. So as resource partners, we got together. We got 11 CEOs, five resource partners together. And we said, well, how about 2033? Jesus will have been gone. He died. He raised. The church was birthed. All that happened in the year 33, if he was 33 years old. And we just do that. I mean, we can argue about dates. But it's been 2,000 years. So how about by 2033, we set a goal that 95% of this world will have the Old and New Testament. Mm. 99.96 will have at least a New Testament. All right, now my friends, business guy, come on, round up, 99.9600. So if your people group has 5,000 or less, which is 0.04 of all the people on planet Earth, so it's a small number of people, we're going to make sure you have at least those first 24 chapters, which typically they pick Luke, and then typically a Jesus film follows not too far later. So for people who can't read, right, because there's audios and, and visuals. So I'm a numbers guy, right? That's a number. If you take all the languages times 1,289 chapters, that's how many full, there's in the full Bible, 269 in the New Testament, and 25 times the language, it adds up to 1.908 million. 1.9 million. That's how many chapters. Every month I get a new number. We're down to 791,000 right now, chapters. So it's taken, it's taken 1,990 years to get 54% done. <laughs> we get 10 years to get the other 45% done. And right now... We're tracking. We moved it from 2150 to the last deal we had is about 2049. So right now, we have cut 100 years off of it. But we still believe by faith, artificial intelligence, there's some new things happening, and technology may, in fact, help us reach our goal that by 2033, it's an all-access goal. Again, it's not the full Bible for everybody, so there'll still be translation needs, but everybody will have a gospel witness in their heart language. By 2033 is still the vision, the hope, and... Lots of stuff has to happen to make that happen, but we're on, we're, we're on our way to doing that. The, the amazing thing about that is not, I mean, the, the progression of the numbers, but the way that that's happening is the collaboration piece yeah. where 
all these people that come together say, we're not doing it on our own over here. We're doing it together. You do this, I'll do that, you do that. And it's just a beautiful picture yeah. of the body of Christ and how, as entrepreneurs even, how do we work together? How do we lock arms together to love the whole city? Yeah. I don't, you know, we can do it together. We can't do it by ourselves. And that's a beautiful picture of that. Yeah, and right as we started, we started this May of 2010. I called 11 CEOs and five resource partners to, all together. Let's get in a room and see what we could do together that yeah. we couldn't do separately. Yeah. All right. Six months later, Stanford comes out with what's called collective impact. I don't know if you've heard the term collective impact. But they gave language to what I was already doing, which language always helps you. So the first language is you have to have a common agenda. And we did. Eradicate Bible poverty. Now when we get a room, these 16 people, they're all... CEOs, they're all very successful business people. You got a lot of strong opinions, all right? There's one thing we never argue about, and that's the common agenda. We're going to eradicate Bible poverty. Mm -hmm. We, nobody in that room can say, can go back to their organization and say, we, American Bible Society is going to do this. No, you're not. Wickham can't say it. SIL can't say it. Pioneer can't say it. Nobody can say it until they come together. Right. And then they can say, we are going to eradicate Bible poverty. The second one is a, is a common measurement, you know. So we have a common measurement. I just told you what ours is. It happens to be chapters. We, we came up with a goal. We're going to hit this goal, and so we can measure that. Not all, not all of them is that easy to do. Uh, then the third one is a uh, mutually reinforcing activity. At some point, you've got to roll up your sleeve and do something. You just can't come and talk about vision all the time. What are we going to do in our city, in our deal? So at that point, we built a digital Bible library. We were, we were going to digitize, centralize, and standardize all the text of the world and get everybody. There's 190 people who own the Bibles of the world, intellectual properties. We're going to get all of them to agree to do with one centralized, digitized, standardized. And we said, but we as donors, we'll build it for you, but we're not going to build one for all 190 of you. We'll build one. Y'all put yours in. And then you have to have constant communication. We met once a month for the first 10 years. We met 100 times from all over the country. We flew into Dallas Airport, C-21 is the largest admiral clubs in the country. The 16 of us met 100 times. Now we meet once a quarter because we have so many subcommittees meeting. Uh, and then a backbone organization. We actually hired somebody now. Because you get 11 CEOs and five resource partners together, you're going to have more ideas than anybody can execute. <laughs> Way more, right? Yeah, all the, all, the, all the operators back there. So we actually have a separate organization called Mission Mutual. And we have funders that help fund that. And what I say, it's kind of like collective impacts also kind of like if you took bricks. If I took a brick and I put one brick down here and I started stacking it up, after about nine or ten, I've got to be really careful. I can only stack so many bricks, right, before they're going to fall over or they're going to go. But if I'll put just a little mortar between each brick, I can go three stories high and not even worry about the next one. I just stack it on top of there. And so that's what I said collective impact's like. It's like somebody understood, some resource partner understood, and we do that. We have people who will fund because there's cost. There's behind-the-scenes cost that we fund, several of the resource partners, the, the, the mortar, that nobody talks about. Nobody ever says, oh, look at the mortar on that brick, on that building, right? Yeah. They never say that. They talk about the bricks, right? So when we go and have a funding event, we, when we bring everybody together, we just talk about the bricks. You're funding this because behind the scenes, somebody brought this collaboration together. Yeah. So it's amazing to go to a funding event and have 11 CEOs in the room at the same time. I'd never seen that happen before. I've gone to your, your funding event, your funding event, your funding event, and there's nothing wrong with that. We do that, of course. But when you bring 11 CEOs together and you bring it, we saw the average gift go up four times. Mm -hmm. So if somebody gave 100,000, when we came together, they gave 400,000. Mm -hmm. If they gave a million, they gave 4 million, mm -hmm. right? Just because as a resource partner, they knew that we're not perfect, but you got the duplication. You know your numbers. You know what's going on. 
you know, have two people coming in translating. Because that would happen. These guys would both come in translating the same language. Like, what? Come on, talk right. to each other. Know what's going on. It wasn't evil. It wasn't they, they just didn't work together. So what happens when our city comes together? Yeah. The power is unity. And I say Satan always attacks. Where does he attack? He always attacks at the point of unity. Mm -hmm. So if you want to go and make Satan mad and make a difference, go unify with somebody about something. Mm. So anyway. What a question, yeah. Yeah, um, sorry, Derek Sire, um, Reverb Mentor. I'm sure you've met a ton of people, and I'll say success, uh, you can determine what success is, but <laughs> you've met people at several success levels, 100,000 years, millionaires. Uh, what have you found to be some consistent qualities, traits, characteristics, habits that separate people from one level of success to the next? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, my definition of success would be different than others. There are some people who are very successful financially that I don't consider a success mm -hmm. as far as life goes, yeah. right? What I'm looking at, what we call the whole person, I'll assume that's the context of the room. Um, again, I think those three things, the generosity and humility and integrity, you know, it doesn't surprise me when I get close to those people, they're making a difference and all that. Yep, there they are, they're being generous again. You know, it can be with their, their words. I say, I have six T's of generosity. There's time, there's talent, there's treasure, there's thankfulness. You can be more thankful to people. There's trust. You have trust. You're willing to spend it on somebody. You don't want to spend it for everybody, but sometimes you're generous and you'll introduce people to each other. And then testimony. So today I get closer to the Lord because I'm sharing my testimony with you all, right? And so that's the, that I think that I'm looking for that generosity, that humility. They're not all about themselves, talking about themselves, what I did, all those kind of things. And then integrity. And, um, mm. and that's where we've, we've seen some of our leaders fail, right? There are some phenomenal, phenomenal leaders that I read their books, I followed them, that didn't finish well. Mm -hmm. I don't have to call their names. You know them. They probably have happened in your life, all right? And I'm thinking, well, if it's all about leadership, why, what, what, what happened? And what didn't happen was governance. Now, governance mm -hmm. can happen at a lot of levels, from a board level to all that. Mm -hmm. Solomon prayed, if you look it up, Solomon prayed for what? Mm -hmm. Wisdom. To govern the people. <laughs> what did he want wisdom for? To govern the people. So, to me, there's two wings on the airplane. There's leadership, but there's also governance. Which means that person is willing to come under something. All right? Mm -hmm. Most of these guys, because most of them are guys in my context that have had moral failures or the different things we've seen, had no sense of self-denial. They got everything they wanted. Nobody could tell them no. Please don't ever get yourself in a situation where nobody can tell you no. Mm. Right? That's where integrity comes in. So what does integrity look like? To me, governance is a big deal. And to me, wisdom is the body of the airplane. Mm -hmm. So if you can get wisdom on the leader side and the governing side, because I've seen boards overtake their leadership, and I've seen the leadership overtake you know, the governing. And so, but I think God gives us accountability. And so uh, that's why Tyler said something, referenced it a little bit. But... I got myself in way over my head several times, and then one time I got myself in so over my head that I just realized I've got to have help. And so I, I called seven guys and asked them to be my adventure partners. Because adventure, well, I think there's three parts of adventure. One, you're going to get wounded. Two, it's uncomfortable. But three, God provides. All right? So you're going to get wounded. God provides. I want seven adventure partners. So these seven guys, I said, I want you to hold me accountable. So some of my Zoom once a month, some of them are local, so I get to have lunch with them once a month. 
And they just, they know my life from different, my pastor's one of them. I want to be accountable. One of them's my neighbor, right? Because he knows a lot about me. He's my neighbor. You know, it's kind of hard to hide. Some are ministry leaders. Some are in town. Some are business. Some are ministry. But these are seven guys that have been with me for 20 years now. And so whenever life gets upside down or something's coming, they're going to get an email from me, you know? And so I don't, I don't have to minister to them. I'm not responsible to them. They're there to help me. You see what I'm saying? Because I do give out a lot and stuff. But you also have to be filled back up. You're mentors. But who's, who's breathing back into your life? Who's holding you accountable? How do you do that? Because I'm just telling you, without guardrails, as humans, we just will go off the edge. And so, anyway, I hope that helps a little bit. Derek, thanks for the question. Two questions. One is actually just a follow-up from that. My apologies, I missed the six T's. Okay, I'm <laughs> fast. Here you go. Testimony, treasure, and I missed two of them. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. And uh, testimony, trust. Trust. There you go. It's in that. It's in this document here. Here's the GHI one too. That's the GHI. Now, that, that, my Gateways of Ministry took four pages instead of half a page. My apologies for the link. <laughs> but if you'll open that up, inside of that, under generosity, it gives those six T's. These are 31 Gateways of Intimacy that I... It gives you a verse for them. It also gives you... Many times it has a song. I've had a song and a verse. So uh, our family mission statement is to love God intimately, live extravagant generosity. So I started saying, well, how do you do that? If my, if my mission statement is to love God intimately, I've got to know how to do it. So over the last 10, 12 years, as, as I thought about, I got close to the Lord. What got me close to the Lord? Well, that's the 31 ways on that document there. And the other document I'm handing out is that GHI that I, that I shared with you. So again, you got any more tools in your bag that we need to know about? <laughs> I do, but we'll just see if they come out. <laughs> I never know what's going to happen, so I just not come prepared. That's the right question. <laughs> Yeah, great question. Again, thanks for the question. The, the university was Oral Roberts University, as somebody may be aware of or whatever. So yeah, back when, when we got involved, my dad was grieving over university, the Higher Learning Commission. So this is not, I mean, when you read the newspapers, you guys do know the newspaper doesn't always tell the truth, right? Not everything you read about people you know is true, all right? So, but the Higher Learning Commission is a different deal. They're the ones that tells ORU they can give certificates to their graduates, right? We got a graduate back here, so she's, I saw her motions there. Uh, they said that they were not good at three things. You're not good at governance, you're not good at leadership, and you're not good at finances. Well, that's three kind of, that's three strikes, man. <laughs> and my dad's wanted to get involved. I'm like, no, those are three things we don't give to, right? You have good governance, leadership, and finances, we'll partner with you. But if you don't have that, we don't, you know. So that's why for the first time ever, we've never in 25 years ever done this except once. And we said, look, we can't give this gift to you without change. So that's where it wound up that we had a board vote themselves completely off and brought a new board in because a board had become what I call still founders' governance. There's nothing wrong with founders' governance. You start a new organization, it's going to be founders' governance. It's going to look like that. But at some point, it's got to get to it can't be your buddies and friends telling you yes. Because a board's role, real simple for me, is mission fulfillment with economic sustainability. Hopefully vitality. Mission fulfillment, 
with economic vitality. That's your job as a board member. That's what you're there for. Stay on mission and then be economically viable. Don't put the money in front of the vision, right? Don't sell your soul, all right? And the only way you get that is institutional reality. And or you that didn't have institutional reality. The leader was being told what he wanted to hear, not what he needed to hear, all right? That's back to good governance, that hearing. So we get up there, I realize that, I do, I'm talking a lot about governance, right? Because I know that's one of the things you need. So then I did a poll, all the alumni. What do you want to see in the OU? So I want to hear from all the alumni and the students, you know. What's important to you? What do you think OU is going to be good at? There was one thing, the most important thing to them, they weren't sure if OU was going to be good at it. And that's a dot. So I got my friends together and said, what are we going to do about that dot? And so I chased that dot down and I chased the spiritual seed of Oral Roberts University. I said, why did Oral open this place? He opened it for the whole person. His very first speech was quest for the whole man. And when he said man, he meant man and woman back 50 years ago. And so he wanted to be the quest for the whole person. And so we, I stopped talking about governance because no student comes to ORU because of governance. Zero, right? Now, if it's not there, they benefit from it. You don't go to church because of governance, right? Mm -hmm. But if they don't have it, someday you're going to feel it and you should know about it. And so, uh, so it helped change my message. So I found that spiritual seed, which was the quest for the whole person. He actually measured you in five areas. Are you spiritually alive, intellectually alert, physically disciplined, socially adept, and professionally competent? So you got five grade point averages at ORU. And so they were trying to assess you holistically, not just your mind, but what are you doing? And some of the things are hard to measure, but are you in chapel? Do you lead? You know, there's some things you can look at, indicators. You had, to, you had to have so many steps. You had to get that in, you know, all those kind of things. So he, he cared about the spirit, mind, and body. So one of the first things I did, I went to the student recruiter. I said, who do, who do you give scholarships to? We give millions of dollars scholarships. Who gets them? Well, those who get high ACTs and those who are athletes. Oh, really? I thought you weren't a whole person. So now we have a whole person competition. You had to come in. We interview you. We talk to you eye to eye to see, are you a whole person on quest for wholeness? Right? And sometimes there's quest for wholeness kids. I met some of them. You don't get the best ACT scores. You know why? Because mm -hmm. they've got a single mom. They're working at night. They're also working second jobs. They're doing the best they can. They're phenomenal kids, right? right. And they're on a quest for wholeness. And we're going to give them to ORU. So those who are broken come to ORU and get their healing. Because ORU was a place for healing. So what I want is the whole kids coming and the broken ones to say, I want to be where he's at because he's whole. I want that. And so then they come to do that. So anyway, so the Lord brought a, a governance mentor. So that's where I learned a lot about governance. Bob Cooley, who has passed uh, since then. He was 92 when he died. was a phenomenal, phenomenal person that taught me all about governance. And, and, and so anyway, I hope that answers a little bit of questions there. Yes, Aaron. Um, okay. As I'm listening, <laughs> like some parts of, especially as it pertains to the, the Bible and the translation, it's like so preposterous and audacious. You know that vision, <laughs> and and I love that so much. And as you're talking, I'm like, I just sort of reminded this phrase that I think about a lot. It's like, oh, this is what this is. It's the, the, a long obedience in the same direction, mm. and a book that Eugene Peterson wrote. But I'm like, yep. I'm also thinking about that just in the in the course of your whole life. I don't know what my I'm like, I think probably everybody in the room feels like God's put things in their heart that are maybe a little preposterous, you know, mm. that, that maybe they're even like afraid to kind of say. And, and like, how do you, how do you just like keep saying yes to that over the, mm -hmm. over the court? Like, I think that there's wisdom. I know the wisdom is you just walk along obedience, but like, it, it, 
feels like there might be different seasons of your life that's easier to do that because you've maybe you've got more experience with it. I don't know. But like thinking about the whole, and also like one of my questions is, as a young man, are, what's the thing that you're like just most surprised that God has done with your life that shocks you the most? <laughs> So I don't really know what my question is. Yeah. <laughs> now, we'll, we'll try to go back and remind me of the second part there. The, the first part is, as I told you, there, there are times that I just really, really can't doubt that God has done something in my spirit, like I told you in 1998. There's other times it hasn't been quite that strong. And what I've learned, the good news is, if it's of God, it will happen. I don't even have to, I mean, I got to go toward it. But there have been times I thought the Lord maybe prompted me to something and it didn't happen. And, and I thought, oh, that was just me getting myself worked up because I, it was sounded exciting. I want to be a part of that, you know. But most of the times if I look back, uh, there was something that happened that was very deep for me. And I started journaling after 1998, so I've kind of written stuff down. I wrote something down June 23rd, 1998 in my journals that I thought would happen. It was 12 years later before that happened. You see what I'm saying? But God did. I didn't have to go do it. If I had pushed for it in 19, 12 years earlier, I would have gotten there and stuff like that. So I guess I have trust in the Lord that if you put something deep in my heart, I will, try, I will, I will pursue that way. I'll turn my face toward that. And I'm going to trust that you keep opening doors and opening those doors. And usually there's a death of the dream, right? Mm-hmm. There's times, even the Bible translation, I'm like, this thing's over. It's, we're getting ready to fall apart. It still happens 12 years later, sometimes, right? Because unity's hard. Satan's still attacking. And so, you know, I just trust that God speaks. And then if, and if I'm working myself up, because sometimes we do. We like big audacious goals. We like big dreams. And we want to do that. But is that my ego? Is that those kind of things? I just want to put that underneath the Lord's hand and say, look, if that's just me, please just don't let that happen and stuff. So I just try to step it out. And again, it doesn't happen every day. You know, it takes 10 years to do what the Lord put on my heart the last time. And so I, I try to do that. Then your last question was something about young men. I don't. That's not me, but something about young men or what was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe that God allowed me to be a part of Bible translation for the whole world. I can't believe I got to be a part of ORU. I can't believe that I. Yeah. All these things. I. I was raised not to go to the movie theater. I'd never been to a movie theater. But the next thing I know, I'm making a movie. How does that work? Right. Well, that's God's sense of humor. Exactly. Right. And so. And God's allowed me to do some of the things. And so, uh, but to God be the glory, you know. And so I, I hope I've been faithful to him. I think if we're faithful to him. Mm-hmm. He gave me the best seat on the bus. I don't know why. Mm. I got the best seat on the bus. I, I don't know anybody that I trade my ticket with, you know. Mm-hmm. God's been so good to me. Not been easy. It's been, it's, as I said, the adventure is, you know, uncomfortable when you get wounded. But, you know, I look around and everybody gets wounded in life. So if you're going to get wounded, let's do it for Jesus. You know, because Satan's going to wound you. If you follow his trails, he's not taking you to a place mm. that there's not problems, that there's not those issues and stuff. And so, uh, but I mean, I've just been surprised at how much have happened. Once I made that vow to the Lord, I feel like that was a turning point in my life. Because I can look back to February the 7th, 1998, and why I share that story. When I made that commitment to God, then, then he just, he committed to me in ways that I could never have imagined. Mm-hmm. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Uh, I was also thinking about that question as well as far as translation, because this is a massive, massive <laughs> project. Yeah. This is probably not a question to answer now, but more so thinking, like, what are the obstacles to doing that? Like, why would anyone say, hey, you can't do that? So that's sort of a rhetorical question just to think about. But then the other question I had, and I've gotten better at this and I've gotten older, I think is in my prayer life and certain things that I think I want to do with my life, 
and the timing of those things. I've gotten to this point now where I'm okay if God tells me no. How do you think about that in regard to mentoring others? And sometimes it is a no, or not yet, or not at all. And I've gotten, I feel like that's gotten closer in my relationship with God versus continuing to pray for something that maybe it's just not for me. Maybe it's for the next generation. Maybe it's for someone else to do. Amen. But I feel like accepting no has become like a, a huge part of my spiritual journey. And I'm that's curious good. about how you think about that. Yeah, no, totally agree with that. I mean, you got to know what to say no to just as much as you do yes, because there's some really good things. There's some really good things. Even with our family, we, every month we come together to do our giving, we have a jar of M&Ms, of, of, of marbles up front. Tons of white ones and a few green ones. And what we tell them is there's phenomenal ministries out there. There's lots of excellent ministries. We bring them to the family to vote on. But if they vote no, we don't take it personally. They say no because it's not a green one, right? Because that's not what you're called to. We're called to certain things. But we, we love church planning. We think church planning should happen. That's just not what God's called us to do. We trust He called you to do it. So yeah, how do you do that? And I think also when you mentor with young people, sometimes they want you to give them the answers. And you're better, mm-hmm. you're better when you help them learn how to dig for the answers. Right? Because God's not going to speak to you about their lives better than He's going to speak to them. Mm. That's a discipleship. It's training. And maybe God will give you something. Maybe you'll see something in them that they don't see of themselves. Right? Maybe they can't see because maybe they come from a situation where somebody's always you know, negative down on them, and they, they can't even see the, the, what you can see in them. But usually if they're asking me, I'm saying, well, what, what's God speaking to you while you're praying? You know, put it back on them to a certain degree. What, what's God saying to you? So I'm hoping I'm, what I'm trying to say to them is, are you spending time in prayer? You're, you're asking me for wisdom, and I, mm-hmm. I'll give you some, but I'm first going to hear what God's given you because you got the best seat on your bus, right? Mm-hmm. You, you're in the driver's seat. I, I'm in the passenger seat. I want to help you come alongside you. But how do I, because it's real simple to try to give easy answers. You know, I try to help people, but I've more recently tried to learn how can I just push back a little, not push back, but try to, well, what's, what's God saying to you? What, are you and your wife praying together if it's a marriage situation? Or, you know, whatever, or your business, what's, what's God saying to you? You know, I just talked to a gentleman before this meeting, you know, and so I asked him, well, what's one of the questions I did ask? He asked for some advice, and I gave some advice, but I, well, what's God saying to you? And so I think that's something that we need to be sure that we understand that God wants to speak to them. I don't want to take that gift away from them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear it on your behalf. Yeah. I want you to hear it on your behalf. So, yeah. One more? Yeah. Mark, um, a, a couple things. One um, is uh, the uh, maybe shed some light on what you're kind of rhythm of life uh, is being involved in so many different things and so active uh, but that looks like as a, as a leader and uh, you know the uh, uh, making sure that uh, the heart of the father is interjected into all the things that, that happen on a daily basis and then uh, last I know that um, you typically do a word of the year and I'm curious if you have <laughs> Yeah, good. Thanks for asking. Yeah, the first question, um, yeah, at a high level, I'm, I'm out of town 150 days a year, 100 nights, 50 nights without my wife. So I have to say no to things. I had to learn how to do that. So we take my calendar. And what used to happen to me, I'd say yes to stuff that was really good. And then when I get closer, something that was great came up. All right, now I'm out of town too much, right? 
So me and my wife, so I, I, I'm actually monitored. I actually report back to my family. How many days were you out of town? They don't ask me to do it, but I just self-report. 150 days, it's going to be 140 to 150. How many nights? 100, you know, 90 to 100. Uh, and then how many without your wife? So one, I'm, I'm gone one night a week without my wife. So that's, that's the rhythm. But what I'm looking for is people. Uh, and Craig Groeschel said it one time, and I've never forgotten. He said, I knew I was working myself out of a job. Got real involved with The Chosen recently. I'm working, giving a lot of my time there. I'm going to work myself out of a job, right? But I'm going to find the right people. And I'm obsessed with doing that. I love doing that. I love empowering that person who's generous, who's got humility, who's got integrity, and all those things. And so, um, yeah, and the word for the year actually came from the same verse that I, another year I'd got. I'd gotten the word go. The word go came to me the year that COVID happened. <laughs> but ironically, Exodus 33 and 14 says, uh, my presence will uh, go with you, and I will give you rest. So I thought, oh, it is. There's a year of rest. I did not travel 150 days in 2020. I did not go 100 days out. I did stay home more, right? And so the go word usually means work, but this was go, and I will give you rest. Well, this year when I read it, the word presence came out, came out of that word. Exodus 33 said, my presence will go with you. And so my word this year is presence. And that's why earlier I said that presence is the present. There's nothing I want except his presence. Him giving me money back, him giving me stuff, I don't want that, all right? I want his presence. And so I believe as I live a generous life that I will, I will receive his presence. And so that's what 2024 is the word that I'm going off of, back to Exodus 33 and 14. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Hopefully if we're doing things in God's will, we don't burn ourselves out. Now, there's seasons. You have seasons in the camping. You know what you're doing. There's certain seasons that are higher than other seasons. We have Christmas time, and, you know, and so, yeah, you have to give, but you can't live that way all the time. If you are, then you, maybe it's the hero syndrome. Maybe we're trying to do too much, and we have to trust God. And so, um, anyway, presence, 2024 for me. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. So you guys, we, have, we believe Oklahoma City is going to be transformed in our generation. Amen. Um, and, and transformed doesn't mean get linearly, incrementally better, but actually means the things that actually would be the places of greatest shame get turned into the places of greatest celebration. You know, where people would actually Amen. come to Oklahoma City because they heard that children thrive here in a way that they're not thriving anywhere else in the nation. So... We're believing for that, but we actually believe that entrepreneurs are going to play a huge role in that story. And that's you guys. And uh, uh, Cultivate exists to resource you. And uh, so um, we don't take it for granted for one second that you would um, spend the most valuable thing you have, which is your relational capital, on our behalf and come in and, and spend time with, uh, with these young entrepreneurs and giving them your time and your wisdom and your network. Um, and so uh, the purpose of these uh, mentor lunches really is just that we want to bring valuable things to you and keep making uh, our ecosystem stickier and stickier. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what this is about. I hope that we've accomplished that today. Mark, thank you for playing this significant role. Thank you, guys. That. And uh, yeah, Tracy, anything else we need to do before we let everybody go? You guys are awesome. We'll reach out uh, for the next event. We want to keep doing these your We want to continue to invest in you, not just in our fellows, because you're important to us. Yeah. Blessings, we know you guys need to get back to it. Feel free to linger and uh, have a couple of cinnamon, uh, cinnamon nachos. Or <laughs> 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 and, uh, uh, but thank you so much. Thank you, man.
Thanks for being here. No, no.